But you know, in God's eyes, He doesn't hear whether you're on pitch or not. He hears the heart. For our heart has a pitch. Our heart has a, you know, you can be off in your vocal cords, off key, but on in your heart. And you can be so anointed and so powerful with your vocal cords and be way off in your heart, which is why for, for the worship team and worship leaders, it's not your talent and ability, it's your heart. Because we're not, this is not, this is not, you know, American Idol. This, this is worshiping God. This is worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is worthy and it's all about the heart. If God were basing it on talent, none of us could stand. And so it's based on the heart. Praise God. That's message number two. We better pray so we can get into the message that I believe God's put in our hearts to talk about today. Father, we thank you for all that's come about this morning. We thank you, Father, that we've come and worshiped you this morning. You are great. <laughs> you are a miracle-working God, and you still work miracles today the way you did 2,000 years ago when you walked in the flesh on this earth and the way you always have. And you care about our lives, and you want to bring that miracle love and power into our lives and then through our lives to the people that are around us that are desperately to know that you're real and that you're alive. And Father, we come to you today to pray over this word that I believe you put in my heart to help us and prepare us for where you're calling us to go. Father, what we need to do this morning, I can't do with my understanding and with my ability. I'm totally inadequate. But your word is adequate and your spirit is adequate. And so as best I know how, I yield to the Holy Spirit to speak your heart in your words this morning. And we're asking you for the Holy Spirit to help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to Faith Christian Center and to us personally this day. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Two weeks ago, I began a series. I don't believe it's going to be a long series because I'm going to do something else with it, and I'll share that with you later on. Just maybe three messages or so. And it's called Undercover. And the reason for it is we're going to talk about authority in the church. There's a lot of teaching out there about the authority of the believer, and that's a very valid teaching, and it kind of is the other side of this. But a lot of people want to walk in the authority of a believer, but they're not under the authority that God has put us under. And it's because we have a misunderstanding of authority. So we began to talk uh, when we began this two weeks ago, and I love this example that they came up with about, about an umbrella in a storm. And hopefully we don't need one today when we go to our picnic. But this is a great illustration because the reason we often struggle with, uh, with, with authority is we don't understand God's purpose for it and what God means by it. And we form our opinion of authority based on the authority that we see exercised in the world. And that's something to run from, not something to be in the, in, in the way it's brought to us and not uh, difficult to submit to. And you tell a lot of times when you're teaching on marriage and you talk about out of Ephesians 5 where it talks about wives submit to your husbands and they say, but you don't know that turkey. There's no way I'm going to submit to him. And the principle has nothing to do with whether you're married to a turkey or a chicken or whatever you're married to. It has to do with God's principle of authority and understanding what it's there for. And what we saw last time, it was kind of an introduction to the subject, is that authority is designed by God as protection for us and a covering, a spiritual covering. 
We went through Psalm 91 last time, and we all the wonderful pro- promises in there, protection and deliverance, but we saw that it's conditioned in the first two verses, and there are four different names for God to be underneath His covering, underneath His wings, underneath His covering, and those four names all relate to some aspect of God's authority. So we've got people out there just want to do whatever they want to do, but they want to call on God's protection. But it's like that umbrella. If I get out from underneath that umbrella, I don't, I'm going to get wet. And it's not the umbrella's fault. The umbrella's there. It's my fault because I got out from underneath the umbrella. And somehow we've got this attitude, we can just do whatever we want because we're Christians and we're living in an age of grace and God's just going to be there to protect us. And then we wonder why we get wet in a storm and why life starts tearing us up. And we've got to understand what the Bible says about authority. And so that's kind of what we began to introduce last time. And we saw that where we're going to be going and beginning this fall, we're going to talk about a journey we're going to go on together. And it begins with talking about worship. But, but you cannot effectively worship if you're not underneath God's authority. Because worship is recognizing His superior worth over ours. We sang just now, you know, during the transition, How Great Thou Art. But how can, how can God be great to us when we're living out there in the way, whatever way we want to and we're not under the, His authority of His Word or His authority as hope for the supreme God that He is? And so this is all very much connected. We saw that love is connected with authority. Authority runs through as a thread that runs through everything that God does for us and everything God does with us. Why, why do we think that Satan works so hard to get us to rebel against authority. Why? He's trying to get us out from underneath the umbrella of God's protection. So authority is not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be afraid of either to be in it or to be under it. It is God's provision and God's protection. So this morning we're going to begin to, to look at, to gain an understanding of what God means by authority. And that's the title for this message. The first one two weeks ago was Introduction. Clever, inter- clever title. This is Understanding Authority. To do this, we're going to go back to kind of our signature scripture, which is in Romans chapter 13. So the first thing we're going to look at is, why is this important? Why is it important to understand authority? Why is it important to be under authority? The first reason, and this, this kind of establishes it right there, God said so. I got to tell the story. I, uh, uh, in a church that we had before, a smaller church we had before, what, 30 years ago, whatever, a long time ago, um, I, began, I, I created a school of ministry, which we used here too. And uh, I had some students in there that went on to full time ministry, pastoring good churches today in New England. And others were just people needing to know, understand what ministry is to be serving within the church. And I wrote a course, which is what this teaching is based on, called Understanding Authority in the Church. And I went through the whole course, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I've now got to come up with a final exam. And I gave them an assignment, was a certain reading assignment. And I'm struggling, you know, what, I, don't, you know I don't like to come up with exams, and I sure don't like to correct them. And I'm, what is it? And I, so I did this amazing thing. I asked God, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said, this is a course on authority. Ask them one question. Did you complete the assignment? So that was the question. I had one man, and he's pastoring a wonderful church now. He was furious at me. 
He said, I stayed up all night studying all the material. I said, yeah, but this is a course on understanding authority, and the ultimate test of whether you understand it is that you do what I told you to do. He said, no. <laughs> I said, then you flunked. You may have memorized all the material. Oh, oh, oh. You may have memorized all the material. You may know all the scriptures. You may know all the principles. You may be able to teach it better than I do. But if you understand authority, what it means is you simply do what I said to do. Jesus said in several places. He gave them instructions. And then He said, But blessed are you only if you do what I said to do. Be ye doers of the word and not studiers up all night, people. <laughs> Many of us know the Scriptures. We've been around since the beginning almost, and we know the Scriptures. We know the principles. But that's not what makes it work. It's if we do what He says to do. We talked about the centurion last time. The centurion, we connected, because Jesus connected His response to authority with faith and said, I've not seen such great faith in Israel. And His faith was evident by His attitude towards authority. And He recognized the authority that Jesus had because He said about Himself, I'm also somebody under authority and in authority. And the proof of the authority I have is when I say go, they go. Not, well, we have a deep understanding of what you've told us to do. In fact, we teach other people what you've told us to do. Yeah, but the question is, did you do it? So the evidence of whether we understand authority and whether we're under it is if we do what it says to do. Simple test. Simple test. All right. So Romans 13. What we're looking at is God said that we are to be under authority. That ought to be enough. Verse 1, let every soul, that includes every one of us, be subject to governing authorities. Why? For there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So Paul is teaching here that authority comes from God. We'll look later on at where God got it from. So God is the author of authority, and because it comes from God, our response to God-given authority is our response to God. That's what he says there. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist it bring themselves out from underneath the umbrella. Oh, bring judgment on themselves. It's not that God's standing there ready to send bolts of lightning if we get out from underneath authority. We're living in a fallen world. Satan is the god of this world. Jesus said that. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that. Right now, his, his lease on this earth is, is short and it's running out. But right now, he's the god of this world. This world is not being governed by God. This world is being governed by Satan right now. And the church is in this to rescue and redeem people out from underneath his destruction and his authority. But we can't rescue others out from underneath it if we're under his authority, Satan's. So when you step out from beneath God's protection as a church, you step out into a world that's governed by a destructive devil who hates you and wants to destroy your life. Jesus said Satan comes only to steal, 
kill and destroy. You get out from underneath the umbrella of God's protection of His covering and you are going to deal with Him, the devil, directly on your own and you and I are not capable of that. He's a deceiver. So we need to be under a spiritual covering. 1 Peter chapter 2. So the point here is, it's because God says so. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, uh, I'm in chapter 3, no wonder it doesn't look right. Therefore, submit yourselves, notice we have to do it. Submit yourselves to every ordinance. So if you look at this image on the screen, what he's saying is get under their umbrella. To submit doesn't sound like a good word, but you see that person in the storm, they've submitted to the umbrella. They've sub... Oh, but I had too many years of Latin growing up, so I think sometimes... The word submit comes from a Latin word, mythio, which means to, to give, and sub, which means under, which is to place yourself underneath something. And that person in the image has placed themselves underneath the umbrella so they won't get wet in the storm. That's not a hard concept to grasp. But we've got to bring it out over now to spiritual covering. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to this king as supreme or to governors or those sent by him for punishment of evildoers for the praise of the good. Now, listen to that. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, not because you agree with it, for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supreme or to governors. When... When Peter wrote that, you know who was king? Nero. Not the jazz pianist. Nero, who was crazy, who persecuted the church. He's the one that burned Rome and fiddled, and then he blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians, and he would, well, I don't want to go into what he did. But he was cruel. And Peter says, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, submit to them under their authority. Why? Because authority has come from God and when we, get, when we take authority into our own hands, then we don't know where to stop. We'll take God's authority into our own hands. Alright. So that's the first reason because God said so. The second reason why we need to understand authority is because of what God's like. God is a God of order and does things in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.33 For God is not the author of confusion. I've been in some of those churches. But of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Go down to verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. God is a God of order. Now the, your body's orderly. That's why when you go to the doctor, they know where to listen. Ever go for a physical and the doctor puts the stethoscope here? He doesn't have to guess where your heart is. He doesn't say, well, the last person's heart was in their foot. I'm not sure where to find yours. We're going to have to do a CAT scan just to see where your heart is. No, because your heart's where my heart is. Your kidneys are where my kidneys are because the body is done in order. 
God has an order to it. And that order is ingrained in the DNA. I don't want to get off on that. It's ingrained in the DNA. It is so orderly that when those first two cells joined together, when you were in your mother's womb, the order for your entire body, for all of your physical life, was set, up, set forth in that order. God is a God of order. The universe is orderly. That's how they can send rockets off today and ten years from now know where it's going to be in the universe. Not so with many Christians. Now we don't go there. Okay. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Paul was sending Titus to Crete, the island of Crete, because there was chaos going on there. Glad you can put it up. For this reason, Paul says, I left you, Titus, in Crete, the island of Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. He's talking about in the church. And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. I've been doing a study. I've started it several years ago on what the Bible says the church is supposed to be like. Not with Brother So-and-So's church of 40,000 or 10,000 or not what looks successful, and that doesn't mean it's not successful, but what, is, what does the New Testament say the church is supposed to be like? What, what does the New Testament say the church's function is to be? And, and, and there's confusion in there going on. And Paul says, I can't have that. We have to establish an order. And he sent a man of God there to establish order in the church where there was confusion and to appoint elders, leaders, in every city as I asked you or suggested that you do. No, as I commanded you. So we've seen that God says we have to be, we have, we, authority is important. We've seen that God is a God of authority. We're going to see later on, Jesus was under authority. Was never out from underneath it. So what, what does God mean by authority? Because here's the problem, as I said at the beginning. We are all raised with some concept of authority. It starts in your family, the family you were raised in. Maybe you were like so many in the other generations or even some of our, 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 our cultures. Uh, 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 their image of, of, of order is you have a very strong father who's almost like a dictator. In older generations, that's what it's like. Children will be seen and not heard. Father ruled the roost. When he came home, supper better be ready or... or supper better be ready. And Father ruled the roost. And there was a certain order that that established. But, but God's order is all... We're going to see some principles to that. Some of you were raised in families that were just completely dysfunctional. And you just ne- there was no order there. And so many of you were raised in broken families. Some of you were raised in families where there was abuse. We come now out of a world of our experience, our own personal experience, which teaches us something by experience of authority. And it may not be accurate. In most cases, it's not. So when we hear things about authority and being under authority, we have this, we have this reaction, I'm not going to trust myself under somebody. I'm not going to... Not only that, we have our, the, the, still our flesh, our fallen part. We don't want to be subject to anybody. Bless God, I want to do what I want to do. Well, that doesn't bless God. <laughs> and it won't bless you either. 
And we're going to see that the very root of that rebellion goes back to Satan when Satan decided to take things into his own hands and then he sold that same bill of goods to that first man and woman. That the essence of sin is rebellion against God's authority. And we're going to discover rebellion is not just, you know, folding your arms and pouting and saying, I'm not going to eat those lima beans. It's an attitude. It's a very subtle attitude and it's a very contagious attitude because our flesh is rebellious, which is why in Galatians 5 it says you can't let it do what it wants to do because it's opposed to who you really are. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I beat my body. I buffet, not buffet. I buffet my body to keep it under control lest having preached to others, I myself should fail the test. There's this constant battle of our flesh wanting to reign and rule because it comes from our fallen nature. But when you come to Christ, He's now put His nature on the inside of you. And it's critical that we learn to have that nature rule us. So God's concept of authority, so it will help if we understand what God means by authority and what its purpose is. So first of all, let's take a very quick look. Jesus does this simple teaching on the difference between the world's concept of authority and God's concept of authority. So let's go to Matthew 20. I love this story. Now what's happened before this? Well, I'm not going to take the time to go back and read it. But what's happened before this is... um, Jesus has chosen His twelve disciples, and among the twelve, He's got three that are closer to Him, Peter, James, and John. And, 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 and James and John are brothers, and then you got Peter. And the story begins with, it says, the, the mother of Zebedee's sons. It doesn't say James and John. It basically says mom. Now my question is, where's Zebedee? So you got my... Now get the picture here. My boys are in ministry. My boys. Because now it's a reflection of what kind of mama I am. My boys are in ministry. Not only they're in ministry, they're on Jesus' personal staff. Not only are they on his personal, they're on his executive team. My boys, both of them. I did a good job as mom. And so, this is what happens when we get in the flesh. Mama starts thinking, okay, they're, they're two of the three, but I'm looking to the future now. I'm looking to the ultimate status symbol. And so she approaches the Lord. And notice it doesn't say, it, it, it puts, the Holy Spirit puts it in perspective. The mother of Zebedee's sons <laughs> comes to Jesus and says, Master, when you get into your kingdom, I just have one request. And I'm a loving mother. So this is unselfish of me. When, when, when you get into your kingdom... I'm asking you if one of, my, one of my boys could sit on your left hand and one on your right. 
I mean, you understand what that is? That's rulership in eternity. That's a pretty bold request. But when you get outside of yourself, you'll get bold in the wrong way. Now, the question I've always wondered is, who was going to be on the right and who was going to be on the left? Because under principles of authority, the person on the right hand is a little higher position than the person on the left, but they never got that far. So we're going to get into later on what Jesus says there. But what most people don't teach when they teach this is the other ten, the other nine, heard this. And they got jealous. They're vying to get in that position. So now you've got on the staff. We're not talking about the 70. We're talking about his staff. They're fighting over position, not now, in heaven. They're fighting over it. I love Jesus' answer. He's so gracious. Verse 25. Jesus called them to Himself, all of them. And He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that's the world system, lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. So it's, it's, a little, it's a short verse, but what Jesus is saying is you understand that in the world's method of operating, if you're the person in authority, you're there to lord it over the people that are under you and exercise the authority you've been given to lord it over them. Now the essence of that is selfish. We don't have time to do this. I did a number of years ago, I did a, uh, we did a, a, a series on the upside-down kingdom. Because the, the kingdom of this world and the principles of the kingdom of this world and the principles of the kingdom of heaven are just the opposite of each other. In the world, if you want to get something, you better go get it for yourself. And if you really want to keep it, you better hold on to it. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, if you want to hold on to something, give it away. And there are a number of others that are like that. Because the kingdom of God is, operates on unselfishness, sacrificial love, doing for others what you would rather have done for you. The kingdom of this world operates on you better do it to your, for yourself first and take care of numero uno because the rest of them aren't going to take care of you. Our financial system is selfish. Our governmental system is selfish. Our concept of authority is selfish at its root. God's system is totally unselfish and sacrificial. So God's system of finances is sowing and reaping, giving, doing for others what you'd want done for yourself. And the same is true in terms of authority. But the world system says, if you, it's corporate in America, if you want to get to the top, you've got to climb over the people that are in your way. And that creeps into the church. So many pastors I know and people that are younger pastors growing up in ministry, they're dealing with, with political atmospheres on the staff of churches. People vying for positions. They need to get saved. It's all about me promoting myself. I'm in this job. I'm in this job temporarily because so, this is a stepping stone to becoming senior pastor. 
Somewhere I'm going to get to be senior pastor. Because the idea is, if I do my job right, I'm going to get promoted and promoted and promoted until I get to be the number one position. Well, that's your attitude. God won't put you there. Because you're disqualified. Because you don't understand what authority and leadership is all about. That's the world's concept of authority. So now we're going to go into what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 36. Uh, No, verse 26. I'm sorry. But it shall not be so among you. Now, in the world system of authority, you exercise it to lord it over somebody. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. A month or so ago, George Detellis from New Missions was here, and he preached on greatness, and that's the principle he preached. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to become a servant. I have a graphic I used to do when I teach this. I didn't put it in a slide, but it's a pyramid. Because the world, you know, the the idea of of corporate America is a pyramid. It's, it's, you've got a lot of people at the bottom and only one person at the top and everybody's fighting to climb over somebody to get to the top. <laughs> There's a book written years ago called The Peter Principle. Anybody remember that? Oh boy, does that date me. <laughs> the principle was this. In corporate America, the idea is you get promoted based on your success. So if you're successful at a, play, at a position, they'll promote you to the next highest position. The problem with that is it's self-defeating. Because eventually you'll get promoted above your ability. Think about that. If you're always promoted based on your ability, based on how well you've done your job here, you're going to get promoted to the next level. But if you don't have the ability to perform at that level, you'll fail at that level. So, so promotion in the world's principle is based on how you performed and if you outperformed somebody else. When I was a lawyer, the whole, your whole evaluation was how many billable hours you put in, how much money they could make off of you. That's in the big firms. And there was tremendous pressure to, to, to literally spend your life. 200 billable hours a month. You have no home life if you do that. That's not just traveling back and forth to the firm. That's how much you can actually bill your clients. And they would use you up and spit you out. Not, not everybody, but that's basically because the, they're living off of you as a young lawyer. And I decided early on I wasn't going to do that. My stepfather was a lawyer, was never home. And when we got married, had children, and I went to, became a lawyer, I said, I'm not doing that. And it cost me a partnership in that large firm I worked in. But I've been married to this same woman for 51 years. I've still got my kids. One of mine is serving in church today. The young lawyer that worked next to me was a year younger than I am. He was promoted to partner, and I wasn't, okay? Within a year, he was divorced, and his life became a wreck because it used him up. It didn't care about him. that used him up. And so in the kingdom of God, if you've been given authority, it's to serve others. It's to serve others. Verse 27. And whoever desires to be first among you, all right, let him be your slave. I read a quote this week while we were away that Tony Cook had published from somebody else. Somebody else. It's this interesting three words Jesus uses a lot. Least, last, and lost. 
Jesus talks a lot about being least, about being last, and about the lost. Who desires to be first among you? This is in the kingdom of God's principles, and this is how God operates. Let him be your slave. Verse 28. Just as, now here's gonna, he's going to give you, here's the standard. Well, that, I, I can't do that. That's not fair. But if he gives you the just as the Son of Man, that's himself, God's Son, did not come to be served. Is there anybody that ever deserved to be served more than he did? He's God's Son. John chapter 1 says, everything that exists was created by him and through him. It says he came to his own and his own didn't recognize him. Imagine the irony. The Jewish Pharisees rejected him and he created them. The cross on which he was nailed, ultimately he had created it. Because the tree that it came from ultimately traced back to when he said, let there be. Jesus, everything was made through him. So if there's anybody that was entitled to be served, it was Him. And He said, but I did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the level of serving, and to give His life as a ransom for many. So authority in the kingdom of God is never for my benefit. Authority is exercised for the purpose of serving others. And the greater your authority, the more and lower the service, the more menial the service. Like God, its roots are unselfish. Because to give your life as a ransom for many is the most unselfish act you can do. Okay. I want to give you a definition. We're going to look more about this story later on. I want to give you a definition of authority. This is one I pulled years ago out of... Um, it's not, don't put that one up yet. Uh, this is what I pulled out of Webster's 20th century unabridged dictionary. It's the power or right to command, act, enforce obedience and to make final decisions. But when I wrote this course, this is, the, this is the definition I felt God give me, and you can put it up there now. The slide. It's the right or ability, and I made those two words bold, to control or direct the action of others. It's the right or ability to control or direct the action of others given by someone who has that right and power to, and has the power to enforce it, and for a purpose which benefits others. We're going to break that down in just a minute. It's the right or ability to control or direct the action of others. That's the part we like. I get to control the action of others. And see, what happens is, when we're still working under the world system, that makes me feel better about myself. I can boss you around. That makes me more important than you. And what Jesus is teaching, no, it makes you less important. If you want to be important, then you serve. By the one who has the right and power to enforce it, we'll talk about that in a minute, for a purpose, that's very important, and that purpose is for the benefit of others, not you or not me, the one that has the authority. The right or ability to control or direct the action of others given by someone who has that right and the power to enforce it 
for a purpose which benefits others. Okay, let's, let's break that down. I want to break that down. This is a little teachy, but it's okay. I'm going to break down these basic elements. And it's, it's, it's because we confuse these things, we have trouble understanding authority. So the first thing we're going to look at is, you can put the, the next slide up. All right, these are the four basic elements in that definition. Number one's the source. Who has the authority and who grants the authority? Where does that authority come from? Where does that authority come from? Well, we saw Romans 13 says all authority ultimately comes from God. So clearly authority in the church, clearly authority comes from... I remember sitting there one time in this last law firm I was in, and and I've shared this story before. I was standing outside the senior partner's office, one of the two senior partners, and his secretary, whom she'd served him for years, and they, they knew each other well, and they're, they're complaining about their pay. Oh, no, they're complaining about something, about something they didn't like the way it was done, da 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 and I just finally had it. I said, I want to ask you a question. Your paycheck sitting there in that envelope, when you open it, whose signature's on that check? She said, his is. I said, yeah. So you serve him, because he's paying you. That's what I taught our kids. I don't mind your opinions, but I pay the mortgage. <laughs> My wife and I do. We pay for the food. We pay for your clothes. You know, if you want to pay those things, you have your right to have your own household. But when I, we pay, we have the final say. All right? And they were wonderful with that. It was not, we didn't have rebellious kids. But. So it's knowing where that source has come from. Where's this? There has to be a source of the authority or else it's not true authority, okay? Um, we must understand that ultimately that authority is from God. And see, this is where, where, where in, in discussing roles in marriage, and we, we may, I don't know if we'll get into this or not, but in Ephesians 5, which causes some women consternation, it says, wives be subject to your husbands. But there's more to it, in the Lord, in the Lord. In fact, verse 21 says, be subject to one another. And actually, the rest of that, those passages is a description of how to carry out that being subject to one another. So it tells wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Not because your husband's worthy to be submitted to, but because the Lord's worthy for you to submit to him because he said so. And then it says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's submitting to your wife is to love her as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself for it. That's submitting. So the word submission sends this, "Ah," but it's love. It's love and respect. So you've got to know where the authority has come from. Let's, let's, um, Let's look at Matthew... Uh, and that, and how, so how we respond, see, if we understand that this authority has come from God ultimately, then we make this connection which we talked about last time, that how I respond to the authority of that person God's put in authority over me is how I'm responding to God. Because it's very easy in the church to say, uh, well, I'll put it in another context. I love God. I love God so much. But boy, I can't stand some of these people sitting over here. I'm not, I'm just in, this is in theory, okay. <laughs> Boy, there's some people on the other side of this church. I just, I just, you know, whenever I see them, I go, oh. but I love God. 
1 John, he says, how can you say you love God whom you can't see? See, I, you, I, you can't, I can't tell. I, I, I love God. I love you. 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 How can I say I love God whom I can't see when I hate my brother whom I can see? Because Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. In fact, if we're both Christians, we're both part of his body. So how can I hate part of me? Because who I am is Christ's body. That's part of the purpose of communion, is to remind ourselves that we are one body together, and individually members of it, but we are his body on the earth. Getting quiet. So how we respond to God, how we respond to a human authority that God has told us to respond, to submit to, tells us how we respond to God. Give you a verse, Matthew chapter 10, I think is what I said. Yeah, Matthew 10 verse 40. We'll come back to this slide for those in the back. Matthew 10. Now, in my Bible, this is in red, so Jesus says this. He who receives you, he's just sending his disciples out. He who receives, he's just sending his disciples out. Put it back up there. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. So when I send you out among the people, the way they respond to you is the way they respond to God, because the way they respond to you is the way they respond to me, and the way they respond to me is the way they respond to the one who sent me, which is the Father. This is delegated authority. We'll see that in a few minutes. The Father delegated authority to the Son, the Son delegated authority to the disciples, so the way the people respond to that delegated authority is how they respond to God's. In fact, God often puts people in our lives to show us where we really are. That person you work with, that just... God, promote them out of here. Bless them, Lord. Promote them out of here. I don't care where they go, just promote them out of here. And bring a sweet Christian into that cubicle next to me. And you've been praying that for the last 10 years and it hasn't happened. Maybe, maybe God put that person there so that you could discover where you really are and some of your attitudes and some of the things in your heart. Now, don't get mad at me and leave the church. And I don't want to bust your theology, but not everything God does in your life is for your comfort and your pleasure. Because He's a good Father. And Hebrews 12 says, because He loves you, He will discipline you. And discipline is not punishment, it's training. And the thing God wants to train us more than anything else are attitudes 
of the heart that we would be more and more like Christ and His attitude. So often God puts you in situations to find out, for you to find out, you may not be quite the sweet, loving Christian you think you are. God already knew. So He's not shocked. In fact, most of the time we're the last ones to find out. The people that live with us know it. I better move on from that one. All right, so go back to the, 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 the pro presenter slide. Okay. The second thing is there's always a receiver. Somebody who's to whom this authority is given. So in any situation, you ought to be able to identify these four things. The source, which ultimately is God. The receivers, the one to whom this right or authority was given. Because it's always given to someone. The first thing we see about that is authority can be delegated. We just saw that in the scripture we looked at. Jesus, He brought His disciples together and He gave them authority over demons. He'd been casting out demons. He'd been healing the sick. And He looks out over the crowd at the end, in the end of chapter 9 of Matthew. He'd been healing people. He'd been declaring the kingdom of God. And then He looks out over the crowd and He's overwhelmed by the numbers and He's moved with compassion. So He calls His disciples together and He commissions them. The word commission means set on a mission, purpose. And He sends them out to do just what He was doing so that now there are more of them doing it. In Luke's, Luke's gospel, he then, in chapter uh, 10, sends 70 more out with the same commission. And they come back thrilled. They're saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, under your authority. So he delegated his authority, which we'll see later on. He didn't initiate the authority he walked in was delegated from his father who's the source of all authority. So authority can be delegated, it can be given to someone, but when it's given, it's never surrendered by the one that gave it. So when God delegated authority to Jesus, God didn't now lose His authority. It's, still, it's God's authority flowing through Jesus. Now Jesus has delegated to these disciples, so it's still God's authority flowing through Jesus, now through these disciples to others. And so the demons and the, and, the, and the situations have to respond to that authority because it's not that disciple's authority. When you are in the line of authority and you exercise that authority, it's not your authority. It's God's authority operating through us. But as we told before, the hose has to be connected to the faucet. We have to be under the authority for it to flow through us. Authority is never given as a reward. It's not, you know, Tim, you've been doing a great job. I'm going to give you more authority. It's not as a reward. Because that's about me. But sometimes we think a promotion is, whoo! I'm now second, I'm now second senior vice president. I've got a new promotion. So, whoa. I mean, rejoice in it, but it's not a reward. In God's kingdom, it's not a reward because of the next thing we're going to see. It always, there's a beneficiary. A beneficiary means somebody's for whose benefit it's given. And that's never, listen to me carefully, the beneficiary is never the person that the authority is given to. 
the beneficiary of that authority is never the person to whom the authority is given. That went over big. Because the servant is not there for himself. It's to serve, not be served. The beneficiary is the one for whose benefit... Remember, authority has... We're going to get... I'm getting ahead of myself, John. Slow down, John. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Let's go to... um, Let's go to John 13. This is the never the one to whom the, bene- the, the authority is given. That would make it selfish. This is how it, one of the ways it differs from the world's use of authority. So why can I trust somebody that I'm, whose authority I'm under? We'll see that in a minute. John, what did I say? John 13. This is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. Jesus has just... Jesus has spent three and a half years with these men, training them, teaching them, sending them out, delegating His authority, sending them out. They come back saying, it worked! And, and, and then he, he pulls aside and, and, and then they've, they've, He's fed 5,000 men, let alone the children, let alone the, the children and, and the women, through them as we heard with Robert Morris. They've experienced all these miracles. Three of them went up on a mountain with Jesus and watched Him transformed into His glorified body and met with, Peter, met with, with Moses and Elijah. And then if that's not enough, a cloud comes in and overcomes, and God speaks with His voice in their hearing and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. <laughs> They've had all these experiences, all this training. And now Jesus is about to leave them. This is John 13, 14, and 15, and 16 are some of the most crucial because it's Jesus' last meeting with them before he's, before he's crucified and raised from the dead. And he does this amazing thing. John chapter 13 starts with this amazing verse. It says he loved them, Jesus knowing that his time had come to return to the Father. Love them, some translations say to the end. That word in Greek means to the end in terms of time, but it also means to the limit. He didn't hold anything back of his love for them. And then the story, of course, is, is they're in a meeting in an upper room that has, has there's no, it's, it's a rented room. And one of the jobs of a servant in a household is if you came into the house and you wore sandals, they'd take your sandals off, and while you're being greeted, they would wash your sandals, the most lowest-ranking servant in the household's job was to wash your feet when you came in out of the dusty streets because they had open sandals. And, and it was so menial that often people just wouldn't even realize it was going on. But this was a rented room. There was no servant there. And so nobody washed their feet. They didn't wash their own. And they certainly didn't wash each other's. And supper was finished. Jesus gets up, takes out his over, over, outer garment, wraps a towel around him because there was a basin there to do it but no servant. And so Jesus, God's Son, through whom that water was created, took that basin of water and He went around and washed their feet, the stinky, smelly, dirty, dusty feet of His disciples. And it was an acted parable. We'll pick up in verse 14. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. The verse before says, if you call me Lord and teacher, and I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent them. Here he goes and says it. And if you do these things, you're blessed if you do them. So what he's saying here is, I am Lord. And you know who I am. You call me Lord and Master. And I have done the most menial act of service for you. I have taken this authority that I have been given because he's using this as an acted parable, because what he's about to do is far more than wash their feet. He's going to wash the filthy garments of their soul with his precious blood. He's about to wash them clean with his own life sacrificed on that cross. The ultimate act of love and service he is about to do for this rebellious, infighting group of his staff. And it goes beyond that. He hangs on that cross with almost his last gasping breath, with his blood flowing freely, and says to them, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is my commandment, that you would love one another that way, the way I loved you and gave myself for you. So the authority that he operated in in this world, the authority that he ultimately operated in to overcome Satan was not for his benefit, but was for our benefit. The authority that he's given to the church is not for our benefit, it's so that his will can be carried out and other people set free. And the authority that he establishes within the church is never for the benefit of the people that have been given the authority, it's for the people that they're responsible to Him for. Because when you've been given authority, we'll talk about this later, when you've been given authority, there's several things that go with it. One of them is accountability. So whatever authority you've been given, in the church, in your home, wherever you've been given it, there will come a time where you, I, will stand before Him and give an account of what I did with that authority. Did I exercise it for the benefit of those you wanted it exercised for? Or did I exercise it for my benefit? And you're blessed if you do these things. Okay, go back to that first slide with the four things on it. Source, there's always a source, there's always a receiver, there's always a beneficiary. And the one at the bottom is, and this is so important, there's always a purpose. Authority is never given for its own sake. This is the way the Lord explained it to me years ago. Authority is always given, listen carefully, as a tool to carry out a purpose. It's never given for its own sake. While we were on vacation in Maine, my oldest son came up because he manages the property for my mother. And he bought a, he bought a, a, a couch to sit, you know, a, a resin couch to sit out there. And it had these weird bolts that you use to 
there were resin bolts to screw into a resin bench. And it had a very unusual tool that was what was designed to, to use to turn those bolts. A regular, a regular screwdriver wouldn't work. A regular set of wrenches wouldn't work. This tool was designed specifically for that purpose. And when the bench was done, we took the tool and we threw it away because it no longer had its purpose and therefore was no longer needed. We're not going to have time this morning, but I'm going to take a a time. We're going to walk you through tracing how God gave authority to man, then He gave authority through Jesus. And when it's all done and over, when the purpose for which that authority was given is done, Jesus hands the authority back to His Father because there's no longer any need for that authority. Authority is never an end in itself. Authority is simply authority is simply a tool. Just as if you're a preacher, your mouth is. <laughs> if you're a teacher, your voice is. Whatever other gifts God's given you to carry that out, the authority He gives you is also a tool that has several significant meanings to it. First of all, there are limits to your authority. The limits to authority are limited by your boundaries of your purpose. I'm the senior pastor here. That gives me a certain level of authority over in your life. But I don't have the authority to tell you what clothes to wear, except in here, within boundaries. I don't have authority to tell you to get involved in your life in other areas because my responsibility for you doesn't extend that far. Years ago, there were some movements where that authority was abused. And you had pastors, uh, uh, pa- uh, churches, you know, telling people who they could marry, not marry, other than biblical principles. There are some biblical principles. But I mean, you know, you're supposed to marry this person, do that, da, 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 and was involved in giving direction to their lives. But, but, but the purpose for which God put them there wasn't that purpose. So they were going outside the boundaries of their purpose, and God never gave them authority outside the boundaries of the purpose. So one way to know what author- what, where you're subject to authority is what are the, what's the purpose of the person to whom it's been given in your life. And their authority has to be within that boundary of that purpose. 2 Corinthians 13.10, just put it up there quickly. We're done with that slide. Therefore, I write... This is Paul. He's correcting the Corinthians. Paul had authority over that church because God had created that church through him. Therefore, I write these things to you, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, building you up, not for destruction. Paul got ticked off at this church. I mean, it got so bad that some historians believe that this church told Paul he couldn't come back to them because he was too carnal. And Paul writes some rough stuff in this letter, very biting very, Paul was very sarcastic, but his authority, he said, I've, that authority was given me to build you up, not to destroy you. So Paul understood the purpose for which his authority was given. And he may have wanted to get outside the boundaries of it and literally let him have it. Even when he turned someone over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, it was for the purpose of redeeming that person, not to get back at them, for the purpose of redeeming that person. 
Well, I'm gonna, we're going to close here. We'll pick up. There's an example we're going to start with next time. And um, this is very teachy. I understand that. But it's, it's foundational teaching. We need to understand and break down what God means by authority. Because we're all under authority. Whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whether it's in, your, in, in our community. And we'll see some amazing things that says about authority. You don't have to agree with the authority. He says something about back in those days with their literal were, were, were slaveholders. And he tells the slaves to be subject to their master. Some hard things that he says in there. Because what God's concerned about is not our external circumstances as much as our internal attitudes. We're commanded to pray for our leaders. Commanded to. He didn't say you have to agree with them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to vote for them. But we're commanded to pray for them so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Maybe the reason the church hasn't been so quiet and peaceable is we haven't been doing what God's commanded us to do instead of we've been doing what the world does. Criticize, argue, submit, get right involved with the whole systems of the world and then we lose our witness. If the... If the, if the, if the if the food loses its saltiness, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? I'll end with this. I'm get, I'm gonna... <laughs> the church was not put on the earth to fit in. The church was not put on the earth to fit in. We need to be out in the world. We need to be relating to people in the world but we are not to fit in with the world. Otherwise, how can we, what are we a witness of? Now, we need to be a witness of His love. We need to be a witness of His power. We need to be aware of what we're a witness of, but we're His witness in this world. We're not here to be liked, appreciated, popular. We're here to be His witness in the world. And I've got to end here or I'm just going to keep going. Father, we thank You that you give us clear instructions in your word. Sometimes, Lord, we have trouble understanding them. But thank you that you put your spirit in us who's been given to us to lead us into all truth. Sometimes, Father, we understand it, we just don't like it. And we don't want to do it. And when that's true, we're struggling with our own authority, our own submission to the authority of your word. We thank you that the Spirit of God has been given to us to help us. He is our helper. So Lord, as we look into this issue of authority and learning how to come under the protection, the spiritual protection of authority, Father, use this as an opportunity to expose in us attitudes that you see that we have that we may not realize we have. Your Word says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to discern between the divide, dividing between not only just the bones and the marrow, but also the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. Lord, as we study this subject together and we face it in our own lives, help us to see, Lord, those attitudes that are in our heart that are hurting us, that maybe even exposing us to the reign of this world, to exposing us to the, to the forces of darkness that would try to destroy our lives and our family. Help us have an understanding of your authority in our lives. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
Amen and amen.